You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Today's reading is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John's vision of Christ. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Their hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and I said, and he, and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands in this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. 
and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things that my wife Anna and I loved to do before COVID was go along and see plays put on by the Melbourne Theatre Company. It's not something that we've got back into actually, but hopefully we will this year. Because uh, I just love that feeling of sitting in the theatre and then the house lights go down, the music starts up and the curtains draw back, uh, revealing uh, the scene for the play, uh, transporting you into the world of the story. Well, today we're starting a new series from the book of Revelation. We're just going to be looking at Revelation chapters 1 to 5. But that image that I've just used of the curtains being drawn back is actually a really good way to think about the book of Revelation. So Revelation 1.1 reads, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. The word revelation means uncovering or unveiling. It's about making something fully known which wasn't seen before. Or, as the word itself suggests, uh, revealing something that was hidden. It is like the curtains being drawn back in the theatre to show you what is going on the stage behind. Now, lots of people find the book of Revelation scary or intimidating. There's plenty of preachers who avoid preaching on it because it's such a hard book. It's full of bizarre symbols and images, and it's not always easy to understand. On the flip side, some people get really obsessed with the book of Revelation and try and read stuff into all the little details and come up with these theories and apply it to everything that we see in the world today. And we do need to be careful when we're reading the book of Revelation to read it in light of the rest of the Bible and particularly to use the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, and the images and symbols that we find there as a way of interpreting what we find in the book of Revelation. Well, if this book is a bit strange and difficult, hard to understand, why are we doing a preaching series on it? Well, I want to suggest three reasons, all of which flow out of chapter one. The first reason is that Revelation is God's word to us. We've already seen that in verse 1. God has given this revelation to his servants to show what must soon take place. And in verse 3 of our passage, this book is referred to as prophecy. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, the nature of prophecy is that God speaks to a prophet and then the prophet shares what God has had to say with his people. Uh, so that through the, the words of the prophecy, people can understand what God wants to tell them. We've got a slightly more complicated chain of command here, but the idea is the same. So we're told that God the Father has given this revelation to Jesus. Verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So God gives it to Jesus and then we read that it's through an angel this is passed on to John. 
He made it known by sending his angel to to his servant, John. And then John passes it on through writing and through us reading it to the church, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So God to Jesus, Jesus to the angel, the angel to John and John to the church. But the point of it all is that God wants to communicate his message to his people. Now, when we speak about prophecy, sometimes people have this idea that prophecy is all about the future. And people think often about the book of Revelation in that way, that it's revealing something that's going to happen only in the future. And it's partly that. It partly does reveal things that are going to happen. But down in verse 19 of our passage, we get a better summary. Uh, John is told this by Jesus in verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. So it's not just about the future, but it's also about the present, what is now. Prophecy is about naming present realities, telling the truth about what is happening here and now, as well as showing what is coming in the future. And much of what we're going to look at over the next few weeks in this series is actually really truth-telling about the situation in the world now and in the church now. Um, Telling God's people that we need to align ourselves more fully with God. Now, Old Testament prophets used to do exactly the same thing. They used to call God's people out on behaviours that were not lined up with God and tell them to change so that they would be living more the way that God wanted them to do. And that's the last thing that we should note about prophecy and why it is that we need to look at the book of Revelation. Prophecy is something that God gives us because he wants us to put it into practice. So here's verse 3 again. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Did you get that? Blessed are those who who hear it and take to heart what is written. Uh, That applied to the first people who read the book of Revelation, but it also applies to us, that we need to listen to what God is telling us and we need to take it to heart, right? We need to allow it to sink in deep, to impact our minds and our emotions and our actions. We need to be changed as a result of what God says to us in his word. That's always the challenge when we come to God's word, that we need to be changed by it, not just hearers, but people who put it into practice. So the book of Revelation is God's word to us. It's prophecy, and it needs to impact us as we hear it. So that's the first reason. We read the book of Revelation because it is God's word to us. But secondly, the second reason that we read the book of Revelation is because it's a letter written to the church. We've called our current series Dear Church, which recognises that when we come to the book of Revelation, we're reading a letter written to the followers of Jesus, us included. And in verse 4, you can see that the structure of the book of Revelation is structured as a letter. This is how verse 4 starts. John 
to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Uh, the John referred to here is probably um, the Apostle John, one of the first followers of Jesus and one of his closest friends. Um, though it's not entirely clear because he just refers to himself as John. Uh, in verse 9, we learn that John is located at this point of time on the island of Patmos. He's probably a prisoner there. He's probably in isolation because he is a follower of Jesus and he's been telling people about Jesus. And that goes against what the authorities at the time wanted. He describes himself as a fellow sufferer along with those he's writing to because of his faith in Jesus. So this is what verse 9 says. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And he's writing these, this letter to the seven churches which are part of the Roman province of Asia. They're named down in verse 11. And we'll be learning more about these seven churches in coming weeks because in chapters 2 and 3, there's a letter written to each church individually and we're going to be unpacking those week by week. And these churches, like John, are doing it tough. They're suffering because they follow Jesus. And so a key reason for writing to them is to encourage them in their faith. Right? If you go back to that image that I was using of the start, at the start of the, the theatre and the curtain being drawn back, the Christians who are receiving this letter are, are in the dark. They're suffering. They're in a tough situation. They're being persecuted because they trust in Jesus. And they might be wondering, why bother? Why stick with Jesus? Why should we keep doing this Christian thing? But the drawing back of the curtain gives them a glimpse of the reality of the world and the reality of what is going to happen in the future. It's a reminder, as the story plays out on stage, that God is in control and God will win the victory. God wins in the end. So their suffering is real. It's not denied. But it's put in the context of a cosmic struggle that is going on. God is fighting against evil uh, and against his enemies, Satan, and the very spiritual powers who are fighting against God. They're powerful. They're harmful. Uh, they are bringing persecution against God's people, but they don't win. As the drama plays out, God wins the victory through Jesus Christ. So, yes. It's tough. It's hard being a Christian. But stick with it because God will win his victory. Now, maybe for you, that's a particularly relevant point at the moment. Maybe you feel like you are doing it tough. That being a follower of Jesus is particularly hard at the moment. Right? Maybe at your school or in your workplace, Christianity is marginalised, made fun of, and excluded. It's got no place there. Maybe in your family, you're the weird one because you follow Jesus and no one else does. And you're kind of an outsider as a result of your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're feeling it's hard because you want to be faithful and obedient to Jesus. And that means making hard choices 
hard choices about how you'll live, the decisions that you'll make, how you use uh, the resources that you have at your, um, in, in your hands. Uh, and it's hard, it's hard to keep going on that path with Jesus. Well, the book of Revelation is a good letter for you to read and for us to read and understand. Like so many Christians throughout history and throughout the world today, um, the book of Revelation is supposed to bring us comfort and assurance. It's a reminder again that God wins the victory. And yes, there will be hard times. We will suffer now, but we will enjoy the fullness of the victory through Jesus in the end when God brings everything together under him. And that brings us to the last and I think the most important reason to read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus. Again, Revelation 1.1 starts the revelation from Jesus Christ, right? This is from Jesus and it's all about Jesus. Uh, and in verses 12 and following, John gets his first vision. It's almost like act one on the stage as the curtains are pulled back. He has this image there of seven lampstands, uh, which we learn later uh, are symbols for the seven churches that he's writing to. And standing amongst the lampstands, right in the midst of them, is Jesus. Right, if, you, if you're doing it tough as, as a Christian or as a church together, that's good to know, right? That Jesus is right there in the midst of everything that is going on. He's there. He's not distant or absent when the hard things are happening, but he's there right with you in the midst of it. And Jesus is described in verse 13 as, Someone like a son of man, right? He's, he's a human being, but he's magnificent. He has this robe that reaches to his feet and a golden sash around his waist. He's, he's dressed in the clothes of a king. His hair is pure white, signifying uh, wisdom. His eyes are blazing fire, right? They, they pierce and see what is really going on. They pierce to the heart of matters. His feet are glowing bronze with great strength and security, a stable base. His voice is like a great pounding waterfall with all its pent up power and authority. He holds seven stars in his hands, which we're told are the, the angels or the messengers of the churches. Maybe this is the church leaders even. Um, but the point is that he's present with his church. He's holding his church securely in his hand. Out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. His, his words have power to cut and to penetrate and to get to the heart. And his face shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. You need a powerful imagination to visualise the awesomeness of Jesus here. And even then, we can't quite get how amazing he is. Uh, when John gets this image here, we're told he, he falls down as if he's dead, right? The greatness of Jesus, the awesomeness of Jesus overwhelms him and knocks him flat onto the ground. It's just too much, right? This is the one who stands among his church. This is the one who holds the church in his hand, who stands at the heart of our church who holds St. John's 
in his hands. You know, sometimes we can be underwhelmed by how mundane the life of the church seems to us. Even in an active and vibrant church like ours here at St John's, right? When we struggle to find volunteers or staff to uh, fill our ministries. When we try and share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus with our mates or our local community and people just dismiss it as being irrelevant uh, on the wrong side of history. When our regular weekly pattern of meeting to, to pray, to sing, to hear God's word, to encourage each other feels a bit like going through the motions. What we need is to have that curtain pulled back and to see the glorious Son of Man, Jesus, standing on centre stage. To remember that Jesus is the reason for our church. Jesus lies at the heart of our church. Jesus holds our church in his hands and he will lead it, guide it, direct it and fulfil our mission as we follow him. None of that's mundane or irrelevant. Right? We're on the right side of history because history finds its centre and its meaning in Jesus Christ, the glorious Son of Man. And so Jesus says to John in verse 17, and he says it to us too, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the key to death and Hades. Jesus is the first and the last. He's before all things and he's the end of all things. It's an echo of language used of God earlier in the chapter where God is said to be the Alpha and the Omega, right? The first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And he's also called the one who was, sorry, who is, who was, and who is to come, right? From beginning to end, God is there. And that is applied to Jesus as well, who is fully God. And this Jesus has conquered death. He died on the cross to deal with our sin and our rebellion, but he didn't stay dead. He smashed through the other side of death, defeating it, conquering it, and winning a way through to break death's power. And because of that, he holds the key to death and Hades. Hades is the, the realm of the dead, where dead people go. And so the fact that Jesus has the key means that he can unlock the door. He can let people out of that place. He can unlock the door from death for all who follow and trust in him. Death has no power over Jesus. And so death has no power over those who follow Jesus. Yes, death causes us grief and pain now. And yes, death is used as a weapon uh, by violent people and by tyrants who are trying to suppress the followers of Jesus. But its power won't last because Jesus has beaten death and Jesus holds the key so we can great, have great hope and trust in him. So as we listen to the book of Revelation and as we visualise the images that we're given as the play takes place on stage, as the curtains are drawn back, what we're going to see throughout this book is how awesome, how magnificent Jesus is. And be encouraged to keep on 
trusting him and following him. Even in the hard times, because he will win the victory. But again, this is not all future focused. It's not just about what Jesus will do in the end, so stick with it now and persevere. But it also is about what Jesus is doing in us in the present as well. So back in verse 5, when John was introducing this letter and he was bringing a greeting of blessing and peace to those he's writing to, he describes Jesus in these terms. Jesus is him who loves us. Do you notice that present tense? He loves us right here, right now. Jesus is described as he who has freed us from our sins by his blood. That work is finished. He's done it and it affects us now. Right here, right now, we stand forgiven by God because of everything that Jesus has done for us. We're free because of Jesus' death in our place. Jesus is described as he who has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Again, that's completed action. He's given us a new identity. It's who we are. That together we're able to serve God as a community because of Jesus, through Jesus, and empowered by Jesus. That's what it means to be the church, to be followers of Jesus. So, dear church, look to Jesus. He's here among us as the victorious and glorious Son of Man. He's conquered death and he offers us a sure hope for the future. He loves us. We're precious to him. He holds us in his hands. He's freed us from sin at the cost of his very own blood, which was shed on the cross. And he's called us together to serve God, his Father. That's our calling as the church. And as we read through the book of Revelation, I hope we'll be encouraged. We'll be encouraged because God speaks to us as we read this book. God has written to the church, to followers of Jesus, so that we can be helped in the circumstances that we're facing. And our eyes will be drawn constantly to Jesus, who lies at the centre of who we are as individuals and as a church. And so our eyes will be widened as we see how magnificent and glorious he is now and the fact that he will win the victory as we move into the future. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.